Now, Milton, don't be greedy. Let's pass it along and make sure everyone gets a piece. Okay, but last time I didn't receive a piece, and I was told that Just I Just pass. Welcome back, everyone, for the 146th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. I'm your host, Eric Roark, and today's topic will be a bit of an extension from last week's episode, which covered the commons. Today, I'll be taking a look at the much-discussed problem associated with the commons, typically just called the tragedy of the commons. But first, just as way of brief review, the commons is the name offered to the initial conditions between people and natural resources a situation before the appropriation of resources and the establishment of private property. And generally speaking, within the commons, all natural resources belong to everyone because no one would seem to have or deserve any greater claim to them than anyone else. All right, so with this basic picture of the commons in mind, Today's episode will be about exploring a specific problem that is likely to arise from a situation where everything belongs to everyone. And that problem, known as the tragedy of the commons, was first coined by Garrett Hardin in a 1968 article entitled, aptly enough, The Tragedy of the Commons. And I've included a link to where you can find that article in the episode description. That article isn't all that long, around eight pages or so, and should take you around half an hour to read. It's worth adding here that this, this article, which started a lot of discussion within philosophy and political science, economics, and biology, was published in the journal Science. Hardin was an ecologist, and while he was aware of the theoretical and social importance of his idea, his background was squarely within the empirical sciences. And Hardin himself was a controversial figure because he had political views that angered folks both on the right and on the left including support for both eugenics and abortion, as well as, as well as substantial restrictions on immigration. But for this episode, I'm just going to focus on his ideas surrounding the tragedy of the commons. It is noteworthy, though, that an idea which has spurred a lot of philosophical thought in the past 50 years or so wasn't offered by a philosopher. So let's get into what the problem associated with the tragedy of the commons is, and then look at ways in which thinkers have tried to solve the problem. What Hardin pointed out is that within the commons, where everything belongs to everyone, there's a strong potential for resources to be overused or subject to destructive uses. And it's generally bad for everyone if natural resources are treated in this way. Here's an example a lot of listeners might be able to relate with to show how the problem might look with an everyday example. You get to work and you receive a friendly note or email about how coffee and bagels are in the break room for whoever wants them. Think of those donuts and bagels as natural resources. And in a way, at this point, they do sort of belong to everyone. Well, what happens? 
Generally speaking, everyone makes a mad dash to the break room to get the prime selection of the treats that exist in something like the commons. The resources used up quickly and all that's left is a few discarded packages because everyone knows they better get theirs before someone else gets to it first. And this is exactly the problem within the tragedy of the commons that Hardin located and discussed. When resources belong to everyone, they tend to get overused and often treated in destructive ways because, the thought goes, most people will try to use resources to the fullest extent possible before others do the same and they're left with little or nothing. The tragedy of the commons relies upon assumptions about how people will behave under conditions of scarcity applied to resources held in common and what the results of that behavior will likely be. Is this assumption about over and destructive use within the commons a fair one to make? That's a tough question to answer, and the assumption might fail under certain conditions. But in a lot of others, I think it is probably fair to say that it'll be accurate. When people feel they will lose out if they don't overuse because of the overuse of others, they tend to overuse and even hoard resources. That's what happened, and that's what happened in our hypothetical break room. And it's a behavioral tendency that led to a lot of bare shelves during the early days of the pandemic and created this need for rationing measures to address the problem. For over the last 50 years, there have been two broad approaches to try to solve the tragedy of the commons. The first step of these approaches is under this broad umbrella of what can be termed private property to the rescue, or if you prefer, the private property solution. The basic idea here is that if we want to avoid the tragedy of the commons, then we need to endorse the private appropriation of natural resources and along with it, a system of private property rights. When everything belongs to everyone, things can quickly devolve into a bit of a mad scramble for natural resources, and the world ends up looking like the break room on free bagel day. But if resources are privately owned, then this doesn't happen or is less likely to happen. A private owner, in virtue of the basic rights of ownership, private ownership, they get to exclude others from their property. So a mad dash to get to and use a resource is effectively blocked. And it's also the case that private owners typically have a vested interest in maintaining and protecting their private property. After all, they often have to use the thing in the future or one day sell it. So that gives a general incentive to protect the object or resource of private property. Now, some thinkers who like this property-based solution really like the solution and use it to suggest that it's a good reason to think that basically everything ought to be privatized. And there's a range of support here within this camp, anywhere from some folks thinking it's a good idea in some cases, all the way up to support for total privatization of basically everything outside the self or body of people. I think it is fair to say that some level of privatization does squarely address the tragedy of the commons. 
But supporters of this private property-based solution, they still have the pesky problem, and this was looked at last episode a bit, of offering an account of how it is that in a just way, we can get from a situation where everything belongs to everyone, the commons, to one where some people are excluded from using resources because of private property. So does the private property solution work? Maybe, but if it does, there's still a very big question lurking in the background. Now, the second approach to solving the tragedy of the commons is quite different than the private property solution. Instead of supporting private property to address the problem, the second approach suggests that generally what's needed are rules governing collective or shared use when things belong to everyone. The best known work here is that of Eleanor Ostrom, who wrote about cooperative and collective land management systems that helped address the tragedy of the commons without having to invoke a private property solution. She shared the, no, the Nobel Prize in Economics in 2009 for that work. It was a very influential work. But Ostrom's work suggested what it suggested was that while establishing private property is a possible solution to the tragedy of the commons, it isn't the only option that we have. Go back to that break room with the morning treats. One possibility is that we could avoid the mad rush with some simple rules about sharing and not overusing. Those rules wouldn't have to invoke private property as an effective strategy to deal with the tragedy of the commons. For an example, with some greater stakes, consider the way that oceans or international waters are treated. Oceans and the resources they encompass are basically within the commons. They belong to everyone. No one person or any country or collective of persons owns them in a private sense. And because of this, concerns of the tragedy of the commons certainly applies to the oceans. And, it's, and it explains why things like overfishing and destructive use of the oceans is a problem. When a, with a resource like an ocean, a private property solution might be theoretically possible, but probably pragmatically untenable and unworkable. So instead of a private property solution to the tragedy of the commons applied to the world's oceans, actually a few months ago, in June of this year, the UN, with support of over 200 countries, adopted the High Seas Treaty. It sets enforceable rules governing the use of the oceans. It addresses issues such as fishing, mining, oil extraction, and it sets guidelines aimed at, protection, at protecting ocean resources for future generations. Now, that treaty's not perfect, and time will tell if it's successful, but it does give a model and a way forward to use enforceable rules surrounding cooperation and sharing as a promising method to address the tragedy of the commons. That'll wrap things up for this episode. I hope you enjoyed learning a bit about the tragedy of the commons and how it might be addressed or maybe even solved. Join me back in a couple of weeks for the next episode of Egg Timer Philosophy. And until then, wishing you good philosophical vibes.